Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Joe Ingram. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. We've been uh, communicating a lot recently. I know. This is like the second time this week. I mean, this week. Exactly. And if you count Facebook prior to that, we've been we've been knowing each other for like three weeks now. I, what shall we do? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what anniversary three weeks is, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would reply with that one, but I'll probably get a lot of hate mail for the, what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Why don't we start off the podcast, you know, with a little description of who you are, what you do and how you got there. Sure. So Joe Ingram uh, named the sales genius as my license plate says behind me on the wall. Uh, so I've been, uh, I'm an electrical engineer by degree, left electrical engineering after school, and then got, got into electrical engineering, did it for 10 years, bounced to a criminal defense law firm, went to go work at, cause you know, engineering and law firm makes sense. And then, um, built their inside sales team for them, uh, tripled revenue, then jumped out of that, went into automotive and went into automotive space, was running dealerships four years after I got into it, but I was building call centers within dealerships. And that's where I got known by a lot of people as I was able to create these lead conversion teams. And that was the overall goal was take somebody who's a virtual prospect, turn them into a warm body in the building that so we can sell an actual product. And then I've stayed in that lane for years, ran dealerships, um, supported software companies that were related to the automotive industry. So for the last 23 years, I've been in and out of that industry in some fashion. And then 2017, I uh, had a, an, a dealership owner tell me that he was giving my job to his friend mm -hmm. and uh, let me go on my birthday. So at that point, my bride and I had a conversation and she said, will you just go out and do training? It's what you love to do. And that's why your stores are successful because you believe in it. Just go do that for other people. Yeah. That, that got me here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That makes total sense. Now you've got quite a venture, right? Like the part I don't get is why you would go from like, how, like you go from a law from engineering to law and then to automotive. Um, yes. Now, depending on how you look at it, to some degree, that it's almost like you're downgraded. But <laughs> I mean, so uh, electrical engineering. I was working for a large aerospace company, and it was right out. I got right after I got out of school. So when I got out and went there, I was there for ten years. During those ten years, I learned everything to do with my department. So what I noticed was that we kept, we would hire up people. We'd have a whole team running. We'd be going like crazy to meet deadlines. And then something in the government would hiccup and they would reduce staffing. And then we would be on hold for a quarter and then it would come back up and go, Hey, we got funding again. And then we'd call all these people and hope that they were willing to come back after three months of them going to go find another kind of job. So I, it took me three years to become the division manager once I got there, so I was out of the electrical engineering and managing people. And so I did that, but then I got really tired over the next seven years of letting my team go and hoping they'd be able to come back after we got funding released. And so it was just definitely one of those painful times. It just kept going up and down. And that yo-yo got me to start looking for another gig. 
And then I said, okay, I'm going to go out and find one. And I found one at a criminal defense firm that was looking for a call center manager. And so I was like, I think I can handle that. So that's how I ended up jumping to law. So I didn't actually learn the law other than what I know I had already broken prior. Mm. But, but I went in and interviewed and this law firm, I went through seven interviews in one day and each interview was two or three people asking questions. And when I got to the very last one, it was the owner and his wife of the law firm. And they said, well, look, you don't actually have the call center experience but based on what we've heard so far with everybody, you know how to build a team and you know how to build that cohesiveness and you know how to keep everybody together going forward. And I was like, yep. And they said, but here's what I want you to understand, Joe. The better we do in criminal defense, they said, the worse the public thinks of us. And I told them, let me tell you this. Um, I'm morally and ethically challenged. Show me the money. And this was way before Jerry Maguire. So, but they, they, they sat there and they said, okay. And then they took a shot. And so I walked in the door, they were doing 300 grand a month in gross profit. And then by nine months later, we were at a million. And then another three months after that, we were at 2 million and we were just building this team inside. And so I, I love the phone. That's just, it's my jam. I prefer the phone over everything else. Cause I look just like Brad Pitt over the phone. And so that's where I look and go, that's, that was my thing. So when I went to automotive after that, you know, I had that crisis where I realized that I was not morally and ethically challenged like I thought I was. <laughs> um, and so one night sitting there reading a case file of somebody calling in to talk to their attorney, it was like 10 o'clock at night and I had two supervisors and I read the case file to see what the guy was in for and started crying. And I was like, man, I can't do this. So at 11 o'clock, I shut down the office and I, I called the owner and said, hey, sorry to bug you, but uh, I'm out. And then he said, he goes, oh, my wife's here with me too. And I said, great. And I said, just want to let you know, thanks for everything you, you let me know. You taught me commission, which I had never had before. He told me, I'll give you the salary or commission, whatever was greater. And once I learned that, I never wanted to go back to being a salary person and you know, not getting paid what effort I was putting in. So that's, so at that point I had call center experience, but he, his wife said, thank you for everything you did for us. Cause I, I tripled their business. And then he said, but I'll tell you right now, you lasted longer than we thought you would. And I was like, what? He goes, we expected your, your crisis of consciousness to come a lot sooner than this. And I was like, yeah, I said it, it was the hunt. It was the, going for the sale and getting it is what diluted my brain for a long time. So when I went out, looked for another job that was a call center job, turned out to be in the automotive space. And I'm an, I'm a car freak. I love cars. I think I have eight right now. And so it's, it was that way. I was like, Ooh, this seems to be a great fit. And in the socially acceptable, you know, ladder of people, car people, car salespeople, are like two rungs higher than attorneys. So I technically was moving up <laughs> right? in, the, in the, I'm talking at a party, right? If you, if you talk at a party and they go, what do you do? You go, Oh, I'm in the car sales. They go, Oh, and their lip comes up a little bit. But when you go, Oh, I work at a law firm. They go, Oh, it goes way up. <laughs> so, so I was like, Hey, we're getting better. We're getting better. But um, managing people was what I was doing in all three 
And so it didn't matter what industry, but the, the automotive one definitely hit the trigger and the passion and the, I was like, man, this is so great. And that's why I've stayed around it for this long. Well, see, there's three things I, I, I got out of this. One is you didn't learn the term that you're not, you know, like if you were in a restaurant, I would say don't eat the profits away. In this case, right. you're supposed to sell the cars to somebody else, not bring them all home. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. But my, my, my bride is also in the car business, so she got the bug as well. Damn. So, yeah. <laughs> so no, no, no balance there. <laughs> yeah, there is not. So yeah. So then the second thing I got, like, and I guess it's because obviously it's going to be obvious that I have zero experience in the law side. Mm -hmm. I don't understand what could possibly happen that would be so bad that uh, you you would have a breakdown, uh, you know, over it. So um, criminal defense means you were arrested for doing something criminal. Correct. Now, grow, growing up, um, my parents, it was my brother and I for the longest time. And then my, my parents decided to become foster parents. And so they opened up our house to these children um, and the kids came in. Now, why were the kids there? Because something bad happened to them prior to coming to us. And so we were on the receiving end of children that had been um, molested, beaten, right? Neglected, abandoned, things like that. So we brought it in. At a very young age, I was I completely hated people. Got it. I was like, you can't trust people. You can't do that. But the person who called in that night, it was, I, I realized as I was sitting there reading the case file saying, wow, this is the person who put the foster kids into our home. And now I'm over here as an adult, part of an organization that's defending this person. Right. I kind of, I, I got it. I knew exactly where you're going from based on how you started the story. Yeah. Now that makes more sense. Now I get the relation and why that became hard. And that's, yeah, it's, I, I didn't realize you had that much involvement in the case. I thought, you know, you're managing a call. So I wasn't representing them. I was selling it, but the answer was. But you still needed I, the no. I, I'm, I'm out there getting big money because anytime you get a big case like that, right, it's a lot of money. And that's what I was after was the sale. Got it. And then, then I realized we are actually going to court all the time. The attorneys were right. Um, we're doing, and this was a case in Pennsylvania, but reading the stories was what just broke my heart. Oh, absolutely. I can totally get that. That makes total sense now. All right. You got into your passion, which is automotive. I mean, clearly you're, a, you love people. That's what it comes down to. You love working with people in some form or shape and you're good at it. Yep. Now, how did you build up that skill? Like, and when did you realize that that was something that came naturally to you? So, um, it was one of those things where, again, it was, I, I go back to my dad, right? So in the household, um, we grew up in our household with humor as like the, the underlying foundation was you got to laugh. You got to make other people laugh and be entertaining. And so um, my dad owned gas stations. So he would own the, the petrol station. He would go put it in and he would buy a gas station and what have you. We would end up working. So since I was seven years old until I graduated college was I was pumping gas before school, after school, always down there. The weekends were there kind of thing. And so we also had the back room, which is the mechanic shop. So I got to play with cars and I got to tweak things. So my car was on the rack all the time as I was adjusting and modifying and doing things with it. Um, and then 
what happened was I realized where our where the gas station was, the last one he had owned, where that gas station was, there was it ran parallel to the freeway. Hmm. And so about half a mile in one direction was an exit, and then another half a mile was another exit on ramp kind of thing. And I realized I watched people that got off the freeway, right, half a mile early to drive down the street to come pull into the gas station, honk the horn, okay? My dad would come out and they'd go, hey, I'm running late for a meeting, but I need the joke of the day. What's the joke of the day? And then my dad would come out, tell them a joke, they would chuckle, and then they would go back down another half mile, jump back on the freeway to finish their drive to work. And I watched this every morning, these people coming in and just, it was like a line of people coming in to get his joke of the day. And so what I also realized was that on the weekends, those were all the same cars that were getting the maintenance on their vehicles done in the shop that we had. And I was like, man, if you can make somebody laugh, you can get a customer. You can get a customer that's going to appreciate you and come back, not question you and you know, be loyal to you because you broke rapport by humor. And so that's what I've instilled in everything I do. And that's my overall goal. So working with people, the answer is it needs to be fun. It needs to be entertaining. No one wants to just sit and listen to somebody drone on forever. And that's why, for me, my training, I, I, a buddy of mine um, who works in Hollywood came one day on a show and he goes, Joe is the personification of the word edutainment. And I looked at him and I said, man, I, I, I'm grateful you said that. I don't know what it means, but I'm grateful you said that. <laughs> then he went and explained it. Right. You educate people through entertaining them. And that's what causes. But that's, again, what has been my success with people was that I invest in you, but we have fun while we do it. And so that's where we we got to that point. But that's phenomenal. Right. And it's you just illustrated how, you know, our young lives, you know, and our surroundings affect us growing up, right? And how, you know, a lot of times everyone says, oh, children are like sponges and they observe everything and all that. And and you and it goes to show that you don't always realize what they're observing. Sometimes you think, right. you, you know, you know what they see and don't. And sometimes, you, you know, you think they're not paying attention because they'll have headphones on and all that, but they're watching. They're watching. And there's, you're, you're the epitome of that example because something that was so not i don't want to say irrelevant but so little and so you know something that most people would just and, and you know have a blind or two and not notice you picked up on that and that's affected your outcome yeah my whole entire life yes yeah phenomenal that that was fascinating so now obviously okay so now i know where you got the people thing from and i and I, you're right absolutely you know let, let's be honest what gets people's attention today it's going to be either some form of drama, mm -hmm. education, humor. Yeah. And you know, yeah. What, what goes viral, right? What did what do they teach us now? You have to put the punchline in the first two seconds of a video, then go build the rest of the what actually happened to get to that point. Because if you don't have them laughing in the first two seconds, there is no desire to watch a 30, 40, 60 second video. You don't have a desire to watch it unless you know there's something funny in the middle of it, something that you're going to be able to get out of watching the, the actual context that led up to it. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. Now you're training people and all that. Like now 
do you have a specific industry that you're still focusing on? I'm going to guess it's automotive. Uh, automotive is the about 85% of my business. I do software sales. I coach people on real estate, mortgage companies. I actually now added clients that are in the moving industry that actually physically move your stuff from one building to the next. Um, that picked up in, in uh, what was it, COVID? Yeah, yeah. During the, our, our scamdemic, scamdemic. That, you know, we like that they put out. And so it was like, oh, well, you the whole industry had to change and virtual is my thing. <laughs> so somebody connected us and said, hey, they need help, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, let's go sit down. So I added them into it. And we uh, almost tripled their business during uh, the COVID shutdowns and all that stuff. So. Right, right, right. Now, now let's get into your program. What, how does your program work? Like, what, let's get the breakdown, you know, from the, you know, just say I'm, uh, well, I have my real estate license. I'm a realtor, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I want to come in and take your program. I maybe bring some people from my office with me and all that. And I'm interesting. So how would the process go and what would that look like? So um, what people reach out, I'll go in and do um, like the, like a half day or a couple hour seminar just to talk to them and teach them. But I go in and immediately teach you about the different ways people communicate and what could be going wrong in what you're doing. Okay. And so there are some people out there that are literally only face to face sellers. Okay. But there's a difference when you pick up the phone from being a face to face seller and you got to change. Well, if your language doesn't change, okay, then you end up hurting yourself more than anything else. The person who goes, I hate the phone, <laughs> okay? That person who hates the phone is a body language communicator that needs the face-to-face -face interaction, right? We get to cheat right now because we can use video calls. And that puts us back to more of a face-to-face -face communication. So that that's always a good thing for those individuals. But over the phone, the phone is the quickest, fastest way to communicate with someone right and then we went to email and text okay if you if you are a face-to-face -face seller you're using very i'll say this cheap word your words are cheap because they're not the biggest part of your communication so that but when you go to the phone right it's tone and inflection and words so your words are 20 percent of the equation how you sound over the phone right is 80 percent of what's there so the tone and inflection but when i go over and i say great now I'm sitting down going, let me send an email or a text and you are typing the way you speak. You're using the cheap words. Right. And you're, hope, and you're hoping for an expensive outcome being a sale, right? Or being a connection with somebody. And so that's one of those deals where you go, wow, you're using the wrong terminology, using the wrong words, right? Like I never say contract i will always use the word agreement okay we'll go in there and say investment there is no cost um, all of these things you need to be prefacing with the right language so that's what i do is i go in and i'll tease you with hey here's some things that can immediately go affect the way you are going to sell then we go into more of body language understanding who the individual is i love personalities i love playing with personality styles and understanding who they are. If you can recognize them quickly, you can adapt your ability to communicate to their style. And that's how you're gonna get it. But I will always teach people, always, that humor breaks down the barriers, okay? And so when I say, hey, you wanna, you wanna learn how to sell? I'm gonna go back to the basics of its communication. Now, 
I'm not what we call the relationship seller. Okay. There's a lot of people out there that are relationship sellers. I believe, right. And what I do best with everybody is get results. Those consistent delivery of results is what creates the relationship with me. Okay. When we start, I assume rapport, right? It's one of my little, one of my little training modules is assumed rapport. Okay. If I can get you to laugh, okay. If I get you to laugh and you giggle with me um, when I say something, then you had to drop your ego enough to laugh. Because if you hated me, John, we would we would you laugh? I could tell you the funniest joke ever, and you're just going to stare at me because you hate me. Right. Now, you'll remember it, so you can go tell it to people you like and be the funny one. But when you look at that, I know that if you can laugh with me, there's already rapport. So I will already treat you as a friend instead of me actually saying, what can I figure out? Like, for example, if you look around my office, you're like, oh, okay, he likes money, right? He likes these little doll things that are up there. That's actually a doll of me and my wife, right? So I had those made. And But you look and you start looking for things to say, what can I build, you know, connection with? I'm just going to assume we already have a connection. It takes about 20 minutes out of your discovery phase, right, while you're trying to do that. And again, I don't want a client because we have a relationship that they like me and I don't provide the right results. I want to go deliver results, deliver results. And then you go, man, we need this guy around more. We need his team here as often as possible because the results come after that. That's an interesting perspective. Um, I got a little bit of a different take on this, but um, again, it doesn't, I think it's just more semantics, my take and your take. As an example, mm-hmm. it's more semantics and less about uh, technicality. Right. And um, what I mean by that is that I do believe in relationships, but I don't necessarily mean that uh, I've got to call you up and uh, try to go to your house for dinner or have you at my house for dinner and we have to uh, or meet at a restaurant and uh, I have to, uh, you know, buy you lunch and dinner for you even to listen to me and, you know, what I mean, and build this long term thing where now you got to be my best friend for you to buy. And uh, right. no, I don't mean that. When I say relationship, where I, like where I, where I think we're in alignment, I think that when we work together, essentially we've built that relationship. Yes. Right. So I still think it's a form of a relationship. It's just the approach right. is going to be uh, different for everybody. Right. I I defined relationship sellers much like it's co- it's built out in the um, Challenger sale, the book. Right. The relationship seller wants to get as many touch points with you as possible. Yeah. Before they even ask for a sale. Got it. Right. They want they want to get into the, oh, you were just best friends. Now I'm going to say, I can sell your house. Right. And you're like, no, 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 no. You you could come in and, and get my house under contract. The fact that you sold it so quickly. Right. Because of how well we work together is what's establishing the relationship. And then it can continue past that sale and facilitate the next sale or the next referral. But right. I, I don't want to like my realtor and then realize my house is still on the market six months later because they're not the right one. Well, here's the other thing, right? And that and this is where the challenge comes in. Now, prime example, you're right. Most real estate brokerages always preach you got to build the relationship first. You got to, you know, have all these touch points. I think they say it's 22 or 26 touch points or some stupid number like that, whatever it is. And I'm not saying it doesn't work. And I'm not saying there isn't an effectiveness to this, but 
it's not always about the relationship as it may seem. Like prime example, we have siblings, we have parents, we have aunts and uncles, we have cousins. And I could tell you to a certainty that in the beginning, none of those people will use you. Not until you're already established and they feel comfortable because it's a matter of you're not going to get into their personal things. And they may not want you to know until they see that you're there for the long time and you've proven yourself. And then at that point in time, they're going to want to hire you based on the results they've seen you do. So if it was all about the relationships and that was the only thing and you have to have those touch points, then your family will be the first person who buys with you. Correct. Yeah. And I always say no one will mess you over like family will. Right. Yeah. Because they look and say, we have a relationship so I can try to damage a little bit of it to, to, to get my benefit. Yeah. And again, the results are what's going to speak for where you're at. Right. Which is why they don't usually buy with you until you're two, three years in, because then they've seen what you can yeah, and can't do. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know that you could do it. I don't want to be the one you practice on. Right. Which in theory, if it was all about relationship, they would like do it with me. Right. Cause I have very low expectations of you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I learned this even going to the brokerage, right? Cause they, uh, you know, it's one of those things that they have lines, right? Cause our, what's the number one question people ask as a realtor when you when you meet a realtor, aside from how's the market, take that question. But when it talks about relationship, the first thing they ask is how many homes have you sold? Right. Well, if you're, if you're about three weeks in, what do you say? I haven't sold any. You're my experiment. You're not going to say that. So what do brokerages teach you? Don't use your own because that's an obvious flop. Take into what the brokerage does and say, hey, we have a team of 1,500 people and we do roughly 5,000 transactions a year. Our office, you know, we do 5,000 transactions. I said, we, we have a team. We, I'm making it we as if it's my friggin' team. Right, yeah. No, that's the brokerage, right? That's in a way, that's sort of like kind of blending in the truth. It is true. The office does right. do 5,000 transactions a year. There is 1,500 agents in the office, but I didn't do 5,000, and I'm not getting any commission from that 5,000. Right. Right? So I, I scooed that question without them saying, oh, we got a rookie. Now, in all fairness, if you come up and say, I've done zero, you're my experiment, but I learned a lot in school, and I remember it, chances are they're not going to hire you. So how do you get a break? No. So I, I don't blame people for using tactics like that. No, not at all. But at the same time, it goes to prove what we had just said. You can't lie to your parents. You can't say we've done 5,000 transactions a year. They're going to turn around and say, you got your license three weeks ago. How the hell did you do that? Right. Right? Yeah, so... <laughs> So, and hence the reason why they sit idly by and watch to see what you do and then decide if you're that person they want to work with. Now, sometimes when they don't, you get the famous lines. Oh, we're friends or we're family and I don't want to tarnish our relationship. So I don't do business with my friends or with my family. Now, there's always exceptions to that, but they can always use that excuse. Right. And here's what I mean by that. Because if you look at the past, there's been numerous times that you've seen them buy something for, oh, I know this person. I know that person. So why are you shopping at the store? According to you, you don't buy from family and friends. True statement. Right? If, if you go back to people buy from people and you need to know, like, and trust them, then isn't that by de definition, if I know, like, and trust you, you're a friend. So, so and there you go. So people use that, that as an excuse because right, the, the hidden message is I'm not confident and I'm sure something will go wrong Correct. where it will tarnish our relationship. That's the, that's the real meaning. Because I'm chasing a result. I'm chasing a result, and I don't believe you're the one that's going to get me there, right? Because with experience, what do you get? You get somebody who knows what's coming up. 
right? I tell, I tell everybody like, I'll go into companies and I'll sit down with them and I'll go, let's map out your road to the sale, okay? And we'll start with somebody reaches out and then we go all the way through the road to the sale and we get to that point. And then I go, my job is to find the potholes that you have instilled in your, in your road. And then how do we get past that, right? And a lot of it has to do with regulations or processes that we put in place because we had that less than ethical person in our company who always tried to jump around the regulations. And so we had to build a process to keep that person in line. But the other 99% of the rest of our realtors are all doing it by the book because they like their license and want to keep it. (laughs) right? So they do it right. But we built a process that gave them an extra step that delayed us by a day that is now going to be felt by our our customers. And so you got to go in and be able to look and say, how much more efficient can I make it? How much easier can I make it for my client? And so that, that to me is where most companies, we get caught up trying to build for the one-off. So we get, everybody goes through our process for the one person who doesn't want to follow a process. And then we end up building in all these extra steps. And so, yeah, absolutely. Now, which brings up another thing, right? Like it's, <laughs> I, I just find this stuff remarkable, right? Cause I'm, I'm taking what you're saying, what, what you're saying and, mm-hmm. and then intertwining it with stuff that I saw firsthand and how that, you know, it, it comes to uh, fruition and stuff. So this is remarkable. And I think anybody, especially in the real estate business, will be able to relate to everything we just said. So <laughs> this is a fantastic. Now, in terms of your training, right? Like, is it always in person? Do you have a virtual program? Like, do you have an online course? Because you know what? That's the latest fad. Let's look at the reality is I've got to have an online course and you can get my little gimmick by downloading my free book. And then I'll try to get you to enroll in this course. And there's going to be a mixture of people. There's going to be some people there. That's just a new delivery. And that's a great way to do it. And there's some people there that uh, probably shouldn't be there. And, uh, (laughs) and I find uh, the online course is a way for uh, what I call the gurus to come on and, uh, you know, not have to end up dealing with questions that might expose them. Yeah. I know a lot of these people that come in and they go, they'll, they'll they'll have someone spout an objection to them and then they will say the, the, their rebuttal back. Yeah. And then they stop and turn to go to the next person. And I'm like, there is not a customer out there that's not going to challenge you again after you said that. But because you control the camera, <laughs> you can say, see, that worked and off you went. And you're like, no. So no, um, so I've worked with a lot of trainers and a lot of people in the industries out there today. The online course is great for generating revenue, not results, okay? And so you can get results because a lot of people that are out there, they will decide that they need to get more training, okay? And then they go buy whatever course somebody has online. It's less than 5% of courses purchased actually get finished, okay? So 95% of the people are tapping out of a course that they paid for. And I go back and look at brain chemistry and say, they don't need to finish the course because they got the dopamine hit from buying it. So once they buy the course, they're like, oh, okay, I've done something. Now I have potential. 
<laughs> so there's potential that I could increase my revenue and I could increase all this stuff, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. And that's why 95% of the people are not out there finishing the courses because what happens when I finish the course? It's now on me to implement. And that wasn't really what I was doing. I just wanted to give myself hope and potential, not actually have to go do the work because that's hard. Yeah. The whole reason I don't finish the course is because that's hard. I have to do it. See, so. I find another perspective on this, which is similar to what you're saying, but I also think that sometimes people want to do what they're doing. They don't want to change. Right. So what they're doing is they're finding, trying to go out there and find somebody they can work with or take a course that's going to give them validity to what they're doing. So then they can uh, play victim instead of changing what they're doing. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. They, I, I need to seek the validation for what I'm doing. So I don't have to change. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But again, sometimes they'll buy a course. Sometimes they won't. I put a lot of my stuff on YouTube. Okay. So my answer is if you want to determine whether or not we're going to work together or that you want the training where we jump on and do coaching in a group, or you say, I want Joe to come, go, go to YouTube, go look and see what I've put out, what I'm doing, what's going to be out there because I, that's the best filter for me to not have to go in, take, take money from somebody, arrange travel, go sit down, go into your office and find out that you don't like me. And it's like, okay, right? I, I, I'm pretty blunt with people. I try to massage it as much as I can, but I, I'm the one that flat out says it, money's not falling from the sky and coming in, right? You can watch The Secret as many times as you want to, and sit in your house and say, I'm going to win the lotto. 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 Right. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. You're not because you never did the action to go actually buy a ticket. Right. You have to have a ticket so you can win the lotto. So you should have changed your mindset to someone will give me a ticket so I can win. Right. But I, I just look and I say, people are looking for a way around the effort. Will I put out a course on something? Possibly. But I look at it and say, again, it's great for the trainer. It's great for the person who can get revenue, but a majority of the people aren't going to reap the benefit other than the person who puts out a course. Right. Now, that also goes to the same thing with conferences. There's many, many people that sign up to all these conferences and they're going there. And I'm at a three-day conference. I went to see Tony Robbins. I went to see whoever. It doesn't really matter. And you look at the audience and 90-something percent of those people don't even have a notebook for notes. And if you're there for a three-day conference and you walk out after those three days, I barely remember what I ate for lunch yesterday, let alone what happened two days ago. So what did you get from that conference with no notes? Yeah. Well, what you got was somebody telling you that it's okay to feel the way you feel and we need to change it. And you're in an environment of a whole bunch of people that want to change. So then you get amped up on the room's excitement, right? Especially if you're going to see Tony, Tony's going to make you strike your pose, right? And he's going to turn the air conditioner way down <laughs> so that you can't be comfortable and, and fall asleep. So you are going to be sitting there going, I don't know what it is, but I was on edge the whole time. And you're like, you were, you were freezing. And so, but again, it works. But again, what happens? 72 hours later, you're right back in the warm bath of your life and everything changed. There isn't, even if you took notes, you're not, you're not doing any of this stuff, right? It, you have to go into any event. Now I go to conferences strictly to meet the people there. So that's what I tell everybody. Like my wife always says, what, you're going to another conference? 
And I'm like, well, I'm going to the conference. She goes, why are you going to this conference? I'm like, because so-and-so's there, so-and-so's there, so-and-so's there. And, and they're on my, my hit list of, I need to meet these people. I need to get around those individuals to start establishing the connection, right? Or I've been DMing them on Instagram for the last year. Let's go. Let's go find this person and, and make sure they know I'm real. Absolutely. And you brought up another point there, right? It goes to what I always say. doesn't matter why you're doing something. It doesn't matter how you're going to do something if you don't have the right who in the room, yeah. right? It's who, not how. And I know there's a book on that. And I, yes, I did read it. Yeah. But yes. And I love that book. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I, I still read it and then didn't do anything different because I still believed I was the one that had to do everything perfectly. Yeah. See, I I, actually, I, I took it and I, and I am doing something about it. I have completely mm -hmm. eliminated a whole whack of people from my life. And, uh, you know, it's not accidental. So everything I do is with intention or as much as possible. Now, I'm not going to say I don't have slip ups. I'm not going to say I don't have bad days. I mean, and even those uh, gurus that are going rah, 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 have bad days. Everyone has a yeah. bad day. The, the thing is, you got to recognize that it's a bad day and you don't let it hold you down. You just get back up. Yesterday was bad, bad, bad day. Today is going to be great because I'm going to try it all again. And that's it. Right. So that's the key component is not letting one day hold you down. Like, look, yesterday, if I let days hold me down today, I'd be a wreck. This conversation would have no friggin' energy. Why? Not because of you, but because yesterday I had a bad day and I had a bad day for reasons I don't even know. Right. Right. I just morning was came great. Came out of nowhere. I had yeah. a seminar in the morning that I was at, met a bunch of people I knew or I knew from the internet. Now I met them in person and had great conversations, rekindled friendships with from people in the past that have helped me out before. It, it was wonderful. Left the conference, got home, don't know what it is. Got into my car, got depressed, was depressed the rest of the day. No particular reason. It's not like I can say, oh, this happened or that happened. Nothing happened. I just got depressed. So the rest of the day ended up being just the downer. Hey, that was my bad day. Today was fantastic. I didn't let yesterday's unfortunate afternoon ruin today. Right. I took action today. I moved forward, moved on. And it's okay to let yourself have the bad day, have the feelings, get it out, move on. Yeah, it's okay to feel the way you feel. But the, I, would, I would also challenge to say, what is it that you enjoy enough that you could have implemented during the day when I, when the depression hit, right? What, what movie could you go put on? What music could you put on that's gonna instantly change your mood and get you going? But also understand that a thought is a chemical, comes down in the body, gets received as a feeling. And so it's whatever I'm thinking is what's causing my body to feel like, man, I'm lethargic, I can't move and I'm depressed, I don't wanna do anything. So it's just about how do I change what I'm thinking? Yeah, that's true. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that I didn't do anything yesterday. No, not at all. It's just that I... excitement of doing You got it. That's exactly it. And that's why I say you got to keep moving forward regardless of the uh, of what's going on. So, but with that being said, now you're... Uh, I mean, we agree uh, you know, on how the things are with the gurus and all that. We agree about the... It's about the who. And I've caught myself many times where... Uh, I, I've been to events, and I'm not kidding you. I've been to events where there's a dinner or whatever. I'd have dinner and I'd get up and walk out and everyone's like, you missed everything. I didn't say this to them. That's because I was in the wrong room and it goes back to the who, not how, right? I looked at that yeah. and I just said, a lot of who's here, but they're all the wrong who's for me. I'm in the wrong room. So I got myself out of that room and 
not it's not a personal thing. I mean, hey, they're, they're, I'm not saying there's something bad about those guys because those guys are the right who for some people, just not for me. Yeah, it doesn't work. And most of the time, we're paying to be at these seminars. We're paying to be there. But if you lack an intention when you go, you're just going to drift through the whole thing, and it only has to deal with feeling, right? And so I don't want to put money out to go be around people that are not the right people. I completely get that. And so to me, the answer is how do I identify people when I walk in the room and say, well, there's the mover shaker. That's the person that's going to go to the next level, right? I need to go talk to these people. And that's just where my focus is. So again, I believe your intention is what drives the result when you go to the event. So I went to one event and I knew the speakers. I knew all the speakers, but one of the individuals, and that was Andy Frisella. Oh, I know what you're talking about. So, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I need to go to meet Andy Frisella. And so then I'm like, that's what I want to go for. I don't care. That's where I want to go. So I'm over there by the back of the stage waiting for Andy to come off and what have you. And then he came out and somebody whisked him away and he was gone. And I was like, okay, I came to this event and my only goal was to meet him. Now, did I talk with Ed Milet and Bradley and right these other people, right? Jesse Itzer. Yeah, I talked to all of them, but I had already talked to them before. <laughs> I know these people. So I was like, ah. So to me, the event was wasted because somebody grabbed him and go, went and pushed him off into a Joe, car. Joe, Joe, I got to correct you here. It's not Bradley. It's the real Bradley. The real Bradley, yes. <laughs> you know what? That guy's awesome, right? Like, in all honesty, yes. aside from the joke of uh, his Instagram handle, I mean, that guy's awesome. I, I like the stuff he puts out there. And, and you know what? I like how he speaks his mind. Yes, he's always spoke his mind. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. I've, so, I've known Brad since 2009. Yeah, I find him inspiring. So, <laughs> but it's, yep. yeah, so awesome. And, and you, exactly, you said it, you, you got an exact point there. Now, going to conferences, I'm going to make my last point about conferences. Um, I'm making it sound like 100% of the people do not get anything from conferences. And if you go, you can't get anything unless you're meeting a certain person. And that's simply not true. You can get no. something out of it. The truth is most of you won't get something out of it because you're not going there with intention. You're going there because you think some guru is going to give you the secret that you're, that you're going to remember and you're going to walk out the door and uh, you're going to wish it true because you get, you know, with the antennas doo -doo 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 -doo, and it's going to come to true because you wished it. Now there's people out there and this is why I brought up the no notes because most of the people who have notes and it doesn't have to be a pen and paper. Sometimes people put things in their phone. I'm just giving you an example. Most people who are there with the notes is because they're specifically looking for something. And when you're going there with intention and you're specifically looking for something, something if you find what you're looking for you will take it and that will take you to that next level but the majority of the people and i would say like i said i'm gonna say 99 and i may be off by a percent or two but 99 of the people don't go there with intention so those conferences are a waste for that 99 for that one or two percent that do get the right things out of it and do have intentions with that conference they do prosper from it absolutely absolutely i i went to a lunch that a buddy of mine said hey i have an extra ticket to go to this lunch it's at a place you like to eat so why don't you go and i was like well okay free lunch and then i walked over and as i walked up i said what am i going to walk away with from this lunch besides a full belly right and it was like okay so then i sat down and built out my attention right my intention but these are all the notes 
that I took on how to build the process, how to go through. Because I'm like, if this person is ahead of me in revenue or you know anything else that's out there business-wise, I'm going to walk away with something that I can implement today. And that's what I look for in most people. One of the, one of the people that um, I work with a lot, he and I laugh because the second we have a conversation, we stop talking to each other and we disappear for a couple of days. But we both know it's because we're both implementing our own version of what we had just talked about. And then two days later, we come back and go, this is what I built, right? Oh, this is what I have. This is what, like, for me, I just was talking to somebody else. And I'm like, man, AI is changing the way we do things. AI is making it easier. Like, for me, AI is the who, right? That loves to go do things and loves to do all this stuff. And I say, if you could implement AI into your business, it's going to help you and use it as an employee that really wants to, right? I built prompts put into AI to say, you are my business partner because I don't want to have to think of everything. But I want to say something, Joe. Uh -huh. Ladies and gentlemen, can I get an Academy Award? I was proven right without even knowing that you had notes. You showed me those notes and it was exactly the way I said it was going to be. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's a, I, again, I, I have notepads. I have a whole bunch of notes for whatever it is. But again, because I have notes, I can go back to them, right? I can go back to these and go, okay, this is what I meant. This is what I need to do. You can't build a to-do list off your memory, right? No, you can't. And so I do have notes in my phone. I know if I handwrite them, I get more. Absolutely. Right? It sinks in more than it is. So I'll do that. And then I'll take a picture of it with my phone and add it to a note. 100%. Right? So that, that way I can always get that. That's exactly yeah. what I wanted to say. For some reason, everyone thinks technology is the answer for everything. But I'm willing to bet you take a guy who types everything into his phone and you take another guy who puts it on the pen and paper. I'm willing to oh, yeah. bet a week or two later when you ask him, the guy with the pen and paper retained more than the one in the phone. And I don't know what it is. I don't know what the science is behind it. I just seem to find that most people who are succeeding seem to always have a notepad and pen with them somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, it, it, it's the repetition of you listening, looking at the paper and then involving your body to write it. Right. That's a triple input that comes in. If I'm just going to type. Right. We don't have a heck of a lot of haptic response from the typewriter on our phone. Yeah. Right? And so we just sit there going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So it, it doesn't involve a lot of you paying attention to what you're doing. And so... That, that's where I look and say, you, you're going to get some of it, but you're not going to get a lot. Absolutely. Now, Joe, let me ask you something as we get close to winding down here. I want to ask you something like in terms of the uh, the coaching and stuff, right? Like we, we agree that the Internet is a tool, but it isn't the answer to all. a lot of the time with the sales trainings. More people get it from being in person. Yeah. Now, my question is, why do you think that is like why? Why would you say that your in-person training is way more effective than online like what is the difference so people are watching this or listening to this right some of them have it playing in the background okay some of them are going i'm going to take a couple things away from it when you're face to face you're forced to be in the room you're forced to be where your feet are and that's where we tend to fail a lot as people is because i am going to be on my phone I'm going to be playing with something on the side. I'm going to do something else. You know, we don't have an opportunity to be bored anymore because we all we all carry this around with us. So anytime there's a chance of being bored, right, for your million dollar idea to come into your head, you've already diluted it by going out and surfing the internet. 
right? Or going on a social media site. So when you're face-to-face, right? Face-to-face causes connection, a connection that's deeper than just phone or email and text. It takes more touch points to get to that point of no like trust, right? To get to, to get where you're at. So face-to-face, people identify with who you are. People will sit back. Like I tell everybody, it's like, listen, believe, and buy, okay? That's, that's the process everybody has to go, go through. Whether it's your friend, your spouse, right? Or a prospect and a customer. You gotta go through like, listen, believe, and buy. We tend to miss the fact we were all taught to communicate from somebody face to face, right? So we tend to use body language as a big communicator. So when we're face to face, there's a lot less stuff misconstrued. There's a lot less open to interpretation, okay? When you listen to, I, I don't know if anybody's ever done this, you listen to an audiobook, then you see the person, and it's not the person that you had in your mind that was reading to you. Yeah, that's common. Okay, you develop the person. You sit there and you're like, oh, that's not that person. They tell, right? And you look and go, wait, wait, that's, that's not it. Where face-to-face, it keeps connection, keeps people going, but it allows you to stay where your feet are. And that's where a lot of the impact comes through is the fact that I am present in the moment that I'm in. Love that. That is amazing and great advice as well. So now I have a, like last couple of questions for you. Then I'll go into what I call the lightning round, which is just some personal questions to uh, get to know you on a personal side. Sure. So second last question is going to be, how do you know you've had a successful day? So at the end of the day, I can look back, okay? And I'm a to-do list person. So I look and see how many of the to-do list things that I have. For example, on my phone today, I have three. There's three in my to-do list that I am to accomplish today outside of interviews, meetings, and things like that. So I sit down, look at it and go, okay, do I feel good about today? Okay. Did I move the the needle, right? Like a a buddy of mine taught me that we have to go for, you got to incorporate every day, faith, family, fitness, finances, and fun. Those are the five areas. So then on my desk, there's a little list of the, the things that I can do. There's a little list of things that I can do to hit every category. And so that's what I look at. So that's my my list of, did you accomplish your all five today? Awesome. All right. Last but not least, for anyone looking for you, where would they find you? The easiest place to find me is thegeniuslinks.com. So thegeniuslinks.com. That's going to link you to everything I have out on the web, regardless of which social media platform you want to be on, what the, where you go learn and do things. Um, there's links to sample trainings. There's stuff on that one to to do the filter to say, is there more to Joe that I would like to learn about? So. Fantastic. All right, let's get into the lightning round with question right. number one. It's going to be, what is your favorite food and why? So favorite food is steak. I'm, I'm an absolute carnivore. All right, I'm packing my bags. I'm coming over. Let's go for steaks. Yes, exactly. That's, to me, again, what is the celebratory dinner? Anytime something good, the answer is, you know what? We're going out for a steak dinner and stuff like that. So maybe I was programmed from when I was a kid watching movies. But to me, when I look at it, uh, steaks, I actually feel great after I eat a steak, as opposed to if I eat a bunch of carbs, I'm not as, you know, mobile. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, to me, texture, taste, right? Environment. You don't get steak at a very, you know, cheapy place. True. 
Very true. Now, I got, uh, you know, sentimental memories with steak. I mean, that was the first thing that uh, my dad always used to be a big barbecue. And I remember when we used to do steaks, he, I would go out on the uh, patio where he was, uh, you know, cooking up the steaks and he would show me. I mean, I, I learned I learned how to make my steaks the way I like them, you know, based on being around him while he was cooking the steaks. So that's, that's a memory that I kept and uh, is still with me to today. And, and I'm a big barbecuer based on that. So steak is kind of like... Uh, you know, something kind of sentimental to me in a sense. And most people who know me would say, shut up, Joe, it's bacon. Because <laughs> I am bacon boy. I'm going to go find a reason to put bacon on anything. Yeah. But um, no, steak would be the preferred. Bacon is the garnishment that goes with it. So bacon wrap filet. Hey, win-win. There you go. All right. Question number two. Fa- uh, favorite vacation spot and why? Uh, it is Santorini in Greece. Um, Absolutely amazing. My bride and I went there um, on a trip. We were on a cruise that docked in different places all the way through. It was like two weeks long. But when we got there, seeing the the villas that are cut into the rock and the color of the water and all that stuff, it was just instantly stress-free walking into it. So that to me is what, and there's not a lot of people. So I was excited about that. So Nice. All right, favorite podcast and or book. So uh, my favorite podcast right now is um, Ed Milet. So I definitely Max love up. Ed Milet's podcast. But uh, favorite book is Outwitting the Devil by Sharon Lecter and Napoleon Hill. So that is by far. Right now I'm listening to Elon's new book. And I, I, I'm loving it. But my still favorite is outwitting the devil awesome all right now here's my favorite question to end it off with okay if you were given unlimited amount of money but only 48 hours to spend it what you spend you get to keep what you don't spend gets taken away what would you do um for one i would fly i'm gonna i'm dying in 48 hours is that the way it works no, no, you're just, oh, somebody okay. decides that I'm giving you 48 hours. I want to oh, do something okay. nice. I'll buy whatever you want, but you got to spend it. Okay. Oh, all right. So um, I'm immediately calling several car brokers and buying every vehicle that I had thought about buying, right? I'm calling my brother who is a realtor and we are cash buying homes, right? Probably out uh, in uh, Malibu next to Grant. Right. We'll go buy a couple of house because Grant and Ed have houses out there. Right. <laughs> we'll go out there and gra- grab that. And so um, I would be looking for uh, I would go invest in companies so that the money continues. So I'd be in there buying stock. I'd be buying land because we ain't got any more of it. Right. And I'd be buying vehicles so I can enjoy driving from one property to the next. Love that. Now I'm going to say something to you and I hope you don't do- get it too offended. Sure. But you said your brother's a realtor, so you're dead to me. Yeah, I figured. I figured. my mom is too. Yeah, so I'm double dead to you now. Yeah. So awesome, Joe. In all honesty, this has been a remarkable uh, episode. I am super grateful for, to have you on here. Thank you. No, I'm grateful for you allowed me to be on the show. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, definitely, we'll have to keep in touch. Absolutely, I'm gonna go buy black T-shirts just because this is twice this week I get to see you. Dressed in the black t-shirts, me over here, I got to put collars on. Yeah. 
I, I like to keep things uh, simple and, simple, uh, you know, yeah. what you see is what you get. And I, you know, I, I pretty much, I change my shirts for the record. I just <laughs> have like 20 of the same one. <laughs> I design, I design, I have t-shirts, a t-shirt business too, that my admin runs. And so one of the t-shirts that started moving really quick is one that says minimalist. Yeah. And it's an all black t-shirt with tiny little words that say minimalist right in the middle of the chest. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I think I got connected to some minimal, minimalist group that is now going, that's what I'm buying. That's what I'm buying. I'm like, another shirt, another shirt, another shirt. I like it. Oh, I love that. Awesome. Anyways, if you like what you saw and you want to subscribe to the link below, thanks for tuning in to the John Papaloni Show. We'll see you on the next episode.